Welcome back to the Price Off Podcast. On October 22nd of 2019, there was some big news out of Australia. Their TGA, or Therapeutic Goods Administration, proposed a new uh, clarification regarding sports supplements uh, as therapeutic goods. And a lot of people were very scared that the Australian industry was going to get a big shakeup. We then brought in the one and only Joseph Menzel of Massive Joe's. You've probably heard of him if you're listening to this podcast. And he uh, came in and kind of gave some unique points and clarified the situation from his point of view. And it was a really good uh, conversation talking about the Australian industry and what he foresaw to, that was going to happen. And overall, it, it left us a little bit less concerned about what was going on in Australia. So with, without further ado, here is Joseph Menzel from Massive joes.com let's start bringing tablets in let's start producing tablets let's not list them on the hostel let's not make claims on the labels but make them in you know the the uh, the other advertising that we use whether it's online or through a podcast or whatever it may be and let's just kind of see how far we can push this and i think it's gotten to a point where the tga is like okay you know you guys have pushed us far enough now we're going to expand our net so that it's not open to interpretation. If you are a capsule, a pill, or a tablet, you are under our, uh, under our regulatory structure and have to be listed on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. Welcome to Pricefile. All right. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the uh, Pricefile podcast. Today, we've got Joseph Mensel from the Massive Joes in Australia. Although today he's in uh, Italy traveling, but he took some time out of his day to talk a little bit about some important legislation that's been proposed in Australia. Uh, we're from America, but we like to help everyone out. We uh, saw the writing on the wall with this legislation. And so first thing I did was reach out to Joe. Uh, it was a little bit ballsy, but he responded and uh, we're excited to have him on the show. So, Joe, uh, if you could do a little bit for us, just kind of introduce yourself and talk a little bit about the Massive Joes quickly so we can just kind of give some background on, you know, where you're from, what you do, and how you're in this industry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys, first and foremost, for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, and, and when you say reaching out, I think you tagged me in one of your posts and I saw the tag and I was like, uh, let's do it. Let's let's put a podcast together and let's have a chat about these uh these uh, amendments to the legislation here in Australia with regards to how sports supplements are uh, going to be regulated in the future. Uh, but so a little bit of background to me, for those of you who don't know who I am or haven't heard of Massive Joe's or perhaps have heard of Massive Joe's but don't really know what we're about. So we do a few things in the supplement realm. Uh, MassiveJoe's.com is the website that I run. It's one of the biggest supplement retail websites in the country, um, arguably the biggest um, uh, information database when it comes to supplementation, training, uh, dieting, everything you need to know about the health and fitness lifestyle. We specific content. So we're really, uh, from a website perspective, a kind of one-stop shop for anybody who's interested in health and fitness with a particular slant on, on supplements. Uh, we also run retail stores. So we run 10 retail stores around the country here in Australia. Uh, and then we do some other bits and pieces with distribution. We import a lot of different supplement brands exclusively into Australia. So we do with the logistics of importing, um, the logistics of distribution. Business, um, run a power company as well, but that's probably a little bit of a side project to what I'm here talking to you guys about today. So uh, started the company, just a, you know, a little bit of background to my experience, started the company in 2005. Um, so, so coming up to 15 years in the industry, um, I started quite young. I started when I was 19 myself. So I've been doing this, uh, you know, professionally pretty much as, as long as I've been, uh, you know, a professional in, in, in this industry. So a whole bunch of experience. 
um, and have kind of been able to ride the wave of supplements, you know, first kind of getting legs in, in the industry here in Australia, which was the early 2000s, um, right up to now where, you know, it's, 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 it's a big part of, uh, of health and fitness here in, well, in Australia at this point in time. Awesome. Yeah, I think one of the things that I was always really uh, interested in with you guys is that you're not just a retailer. You're not just someone who talks about product, but you know the regulation because you do the importing. So you understand a lot of how this fits into the government and how it's regulated. And uh, myself coming from a background with Nutribout, that's very important to me is understanding the legality and why we're allowed to utilize these things. So once I heard about this um, yes. this new amendments coming out, you know, I figured you're probably one of the best people to speak to in Australia about this. So I want to preface this by saying Mike and I are not necessarily uh, against any kind of regulation, but when we saw this, it seemed like it was a little bit over the top. Mm -hmm. So maybe we could uh, kick this off with uh, talk a little bit about what is actually happening. Uh, I've read through most of the paperwork, uh, the actual legislation, and they have like a handbook for it. it. It seemed like there were differing topics on it. It's either... Protein is absolutely fine and okay, but also if you make the claims that it is muscle building, recovery, or if you make any sort of therapeutic claims, it becomes a drug now, or a therapeutic good is what they're calling it. So it seems to be there's, uh, I don't want to call it misinformation, but there's, um, it's like an oxymoron in a lot of cases. Some products that are possibly fine to be dietary supplements could also qualify as a therapeutic good, correct? Yeah, so I think the the uh, there's been a little bit of, uh, let's say for lack of a better term, a little bit of misinformation with regards to, I think, the way the legislature's written and what it is trying to achieve um, through the way it's written as well. So there is, um, you know, a couple of different PR campaigns happening in Australia at the moment that are kind of saying, you know, supplements are going to be wiped out industry you know all of the products that we currently are uh, freely able to sell are going to be uh, banned um, and you won't be able to sell them consumers won't be able to access them the only way they're going to be able to get them is to import them from overseas there's there's a lot of uh, misinformation flying around i think if you kind of strip it back and you read the the um, legislative amendments the way that they've been written in conjunction with the consultation paper because you've got to remember that these two things are supposed to be read together um certain ways sometimes legislation is written a certain way and what it is designed to achieve or what what effect is designed to achieve can be quite different to the way it's written uh but you know the first thing the first step during a, a legislative amendment is to write draft legislation cast the net kind of as wide as we as it can possibly be cast and then it kind of gets broken back 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 to achieve what it's designed to achieve so I think when you strip it back and you read the draft legislation, uh, the way that it's kind of written in conjunction with the consultation paper, really what we're, what what the TGA, in my personal opinion, is trying to achieve here is putting a regulatory structure in place where certain supplements that have been able to kind of float in this grey area in Australia now have a little bit of regulatory backbone to them. And I think in order to kind of understand that, as kind of the, the supplement industry kind of operates in the US is slightly different from Australia. So in Australia, we have um, FSANZ, which is Food Standards Australia New Zealand, which is designed to regulate foods. So, you know, I don't really need to define foods. 
things that you eat, generally speaking. That's FSANZ. Then when we go to medicines, therapeutic goods, drugs, so on and so forth, the TGA was set up in the late 80s to regulate those sorts of things. We call them therapeutic goods. When these different structures were set up, supplements didn't really exist. You know, you might have had protein powder or meal replacements or, you know, maybe very basic supplements. But supplements as we know them now, you know, coming into 2020, really didn't exist. And they really sat in this gray area between, you know, partly food, partly therapeutics, but we're able to kind of carve out, I guess, this, this gray niche between the two regulatory bodies. And we don't really have any sort of regulatory body that is the regulatory body that sets the regulatory framework for supplements. So a lot of supplements now sit somewhere between the two and the government really doesn't have a way of regulating them. So the way that this draft legislation is set up in, in conjunction when effectively going, okay, we think that the TGA is probably the best equipped with the way that the regulatory structure works for therapeutics to be the governing body that governs supplements and sets up this regulatory framework that effectively takes this gray area and puts it in the TGA net or allows the TGA to kind of cast its net to uh, include this gray area so that now supplements fall under the therapeutics. That I think is what it's designed to achieve. Interesting. Okay. So one of the things, and I think uh, you also mentioned when we were messaging a little bit that there's been a few events recently where maybe kids have been hurt or something. And I kind of understand uh, it may be seen as a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, but at a certain point, because we've seen this in America, uh, kids overdose yeah. on powdered caffeine, right? At a certain point, it's like, all right, you know what? We can't trust any of you to make your own decisions, right? We, at a certain point, it's like, all right, for a little bit, we're going to have to choose, we're going to have to uh, approve, we're going to have to manufacture for you something. One of the things that I noticed is that there was some wordage about TGA manufacturing products. Does TGA own manufacturing facilities in Australia that they will manufacture for you? No, no, no. So the TGA will approve uh, manufacturing facilities. So okay. you can have a manufacturing facility and then there's, it's kind of like what you guys have in the, in the States, you have the GMP, the good manufacturing right. press, uh, uh, practice. So the TGA has a kind of similar structure that if you want to produce goods that are listed on the Australian register of therapeutic goods, they need to be made in a TGA approved facility. Okay. So, and, and so pretty much anyone can become approved by the TGA if they are meeting the right standards for them, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like a government controlled manufacturing facility or facilities or anything like that. Like you know, private manufacturing facilities that meet the guidelines of being TGA approved, apply for TGA approval and then make uh, goods that go on the register of therapeutic goods here in Australia. So it seems like pretty much in most cases here, it's legitimizing the industry. It's making sure that there's no yeah. adulteration of products and make sure that things are meeting label claim. Could you see any possible drawbacks from this? Did I lose you there? We, we, yeah, I lost you for a second. Sorry. There. Yeah. yeah, so, so it seems, sounds like there's, there's a positive across the board. Is there actually any case where there might be a negative because of this is happening? You know, the I guess if you kind of read into the PR campaigns that are against the, what the TGA is trying to achieve, they will 
go down the path of its restricting consumer choice and kind of use the fear of, you know, consumers won't be able to access supplements in Australia anymore. They're not going to be able to, um, you know, exercise their free choice to put what they want in their body, so on and so forth. Um, I just don't think that's the case. I think that, you know, if you read, if you really read the legislature and you look through, you know, you, you guys have, have, have obviously read it, there's the two different columns and it's like, okay, if there is a, a product that, that meets any one of these requirements in column A and then also reach these requirements in column B, then it's going to be captured by, by the legislature. And when you read what they're actually looking for, they're looking at, you know, ingredients that are already scheduled with the TGA authority banned goods ingredients that the tga have specified or they're already banned like we can't have you know one of the ingredients they've, they've identified is dmba um dmaa uh dendrobium these are things that we can't have in supplements anyway in australia and they're just kind of i guess reinforcing that through this this draft legislation um and then it's you know when you include those ingredients or you're a capsule a pill or, or a tablet and you're making what the TJ considers to be therapeutic claims, then you're going to fall under the net of this legislation and you have to be produced in a TGA compliant facility and listed on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. Um, so, you know, is it going to restrict consumer choice? Look, as it currently stands at the moment, if you're in Australia and you go to the US, you're able to access a lot of supplements that we can't have in Australia because of the current regulatory structure. So it's probably going to be perhaps an enhancement on that, but it's not going to be so significant that it's going to completely restrict consumer choice. In my personal opinion, I just don't think it. And the, yeah, so it seems pretty reasonable. It won't when you look at, I mean, I, I can see when I when I read, especially that the two columns, the uh, decision making yes. flowchart. There seems to be some areas where I think a lot of people uh, are considering the fact that it might be abused in some way. I guess yes. it comes down to once you become a, a, a therapeutic good. Yeah. Does it cost more to manufacture? Does it cost to be approved? Does it, is are there going to be unfair costs put on these companies because they're in this category now? Is there, is there a possibility that some of these companies are not going to be able to afford that? Because for instance. In America, once the product becomes a drug, you have to pay for all the drug trials, you have to pay for all the studies, and everything. That, that can cost millions of dollars to have a drug approved. So it, that's what a lot of people are afraid of with, with in America with supplements, is that a lot of these supplement companies could not afford the all the, the lawyers, the studies, the claims, all these things to be done. Is it possible that in Australia some of these smaller companies are going to have a problem because of this? Yeah, it's possible, but on the flip side, you already have a lot of supplement companies, mainly vitamin companies in Australia, that already produce products that are listed on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. I mean, you know, if we if we kind of, I'm going to step a little bit off what's written in the legislation now and just talk about my personal experience in the industry. It's kind of been a little bit of an an unwritten rule in the Australian supplement game up until this point in time that if you were attacked and you weren't on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods, you couldn't be sold in Australia. That was kind of, you know, even though even though the legislation doesn't read that way, that was kind of the understanding. Sure. It's like if you want to sell, if you want to sell supplements, yeah. Uh, we missed the most important part of that sentence. You said if you and then it, it blanked out. Can you repeat that? that absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry. 
Yeah, yeah. So the the kind of unwritten rule in, in the supplement industry in Australia up until this point in time was that if you were you know, a capsulated product, a pill form product, a tablet form product, and you weren't listed on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods, you really couldn't be sold in Australia. And even though the legislature, you know, it's open to interpretation as it's currently written, but it was kind of understood that, okay, if you're going to make a capsule or a pill or a tablet, you have to have what we call an AUSTL AUSTL number, which means you're registered on, well, you're listed on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods, you're made in a TGA compliant facility, and then you can go and sell your, your capsule form, your pill form, or your tablet form product. And there are a lot of companies in Australia that already do that. So if you want to go and buy a vitamin C tablet, it's going to be on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. If you want to go and buy a CoQ10 tablet or a fish oil tablet, or you know, anything that's pill form, capsule form, tablet form, a lot of these companies are already listed on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. So they've done it. And it's not that these products are super expensive because the costs associated with doing so, you know, inflate the price so much. These companies do it. They've been doing it for a long time and they've been able to carve themselves a nice nice little business um, doing that. So I think to, to make that argument, I think that there's already evidence in the Australian marketplace that, yeah, there's going to be, you know, extra costs associated with with being in a TJ approved facility and being listed on the Australian Register of Pretty Goods, but it's not going to be so detrimental that it's like you're out of the business or make it too expensive to do So back to you know that the unwritten rule that ever since I've been in the industry since 2005, it's kind of been known that you don't play with or pills or tablets unless you are listed on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. Probably over the last, I would say, five years, there's been a lot of companies, a lot of... In They're like, you know, let's see how far we can push this. Let's start bringing tablets in. Let's start producing tablets. Let's not list them on the hostel. Let's not make claims on the labels, but make them in you know the the uh, the other advertising that we use, whether it's online or through a podcast or whatever it may be, and let's just kind of see how far we can push this. And I think it's gotten to a point where the TGA is like, okay, you know, you guys have pushed us far enough. Now we're going to expand our net so that it's not open to interpretation. If you are a capsule, a pill, or a tablet, you are under our uh, under our regulatory structure and have to be listed on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. I think it, it sounds pretty reasonable. I think a lot of people yeah. uh, have a bit of a, I also see a knee-jerk reaction where it's like, oh, they're, they're coming in to ruin our industry. But it, once yeah. you read it, once you speak, you know, you, you discuss it for a little bit, it sounds like it's pretty reasonable. It sounds like it's going to be the better for everyone. Um, we, have, we have a lot of the same issues in America right now where uh, DMAA is banned currently. Like, as per all of the judges' rulings, it is not able to be used in products. And yet I get a formula sent to me every single day that has 100 to 200 milligrams of DMAA. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. people are just pushing the boundaries because they want to see what they can get away with. And it's a quick buck, of course, but uh, I wouldn't mind if something like this happened in America on a light, on a light scale. I think it's, it's, it sounds like it makes sense and it, it might be for the best. So well, that, that the next up enforcement, though. I mean, I think the reason is a lot of these companies are making calculated decisions that they could probably make money for a good year or more selling this stuff by and then yes. the FDA's enforcement is so slow and slow late that they might be able to get away with it completely or they might at least be able to profit 
be on the point of whatever the FDA punishes them with if they ever punish them. Uh, so, like, in terms yeah. of Australia, how does the enforcement work? Because as we've seen in America, we have these laws that are typically not very strongly so enforced unless if, you're doing something I extremely mean, once, egregious. Yeah, yeah. So there has, I mean, it, it, it's one of those situations where the way that the enforcement is kind of written is if the TGI wants to come down on you like a ton of bricks, they can come down on you like a ton of bricks. They often don't. There, there has been a few cases in the past, if you go back and look at, you know, at least my personal experience in the last 15 years, where there have been big companies involved in importation and distribution of what they call unregistered therapeutic goods. So capsules, pills, or tablets that aren't registered or aren't listed on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. And they've received, you know, multi-million dollar fines once the TGA has enough evidence. And if the TGA chooses to, to pursue them, chooses to prosecute them. I think the problem with it is now is there's so many companies doing it you know, if the TGA was going to go and prosecute all of these companies, it's, it, it, I mean, you know, it comes down to, it, it comes down to really resources. Like how many resources are they actually going to, going to dedicate to going and prosecuting company number one, company number two, company number three, up to, you know, there's probably hundreds in Australia that are just really kind of pushing the limits at the moment. So, for an approach of going, well, let, we're going to approach this differently. We're going to cast our net as wide as we possibly can and then the enforcement becomes a lot more efficient as well um so i guess that you know that could be one of their uh, motivations for, for for these changes i i it sounds like it makes sense uh i know that in the past australia it's very very um strict on the more not gray areas stuff like pro hormones SARMs, steroids they come down very very hard um, yeah. That's one problem that we're having in America right now is SARMs uh, as a whole. And, and part of the problem, and I think that this is actually a good step for you guys, because what we see here is that if you're a company that's manufacturing DMAA, SARMs, pro-hormones, stuff like that, you're not using a quality manufacturer and you can't trust what's in the product. And, and you know, for the, just for the purpose of this discussion, we can, we can say there are some safe SARMs in theory, but you have no clue that you're getting these products if you're getting it through a unregistered manufacturer or manufacturer that's running a weekend shift. Um, and so in this case where you have mm -hmm. TGA registered and audited facilities, you know that it's meeting label claim, you know that it's safe, you know that there's no other harmful goods in there. It sounds like it's gonna be the best for everyone. After December 3rd, when this is put into place, is there gonna be, because you, you mentioned how you cast the, the net very wide and then it comes in, is there gonna be a process mm -hmm. of this law getting, getting culled down a little bit? Uh, 100%. Definitely. So December 3rd is, is the cutoff date for public consultation. So the way that the TGA, and this is the way that they, they uh, you know, schedule substances, which means they put uh, different ingredients on a banned list or a prescription only list or, you know, however they want to schedule them. There's always a six week public consultation period. So the TGA will put out what they want to do. It might be like they've done at the moment, which is a draft legislative amendment, or it might be a draft to schedule, for example, DMAA, or the most recent one in recent memory was Fenabut. They scheduled Fenabut and made it a prescription only uh, only ingredient. So there's this six week consultation period where the TGA says, this is what we want to do. We're going to let the public know and we're going to allow the public the six week period to submit their you know, thoughts, queries, concerns, whatever it may be. So that six week period started, I 
October and finishes on the 3rd of December. So the 3rd of December is the end of that public consultation period. Then the TGA will read over all of the submissions from the public and then they'll take the next step to go, okay, well, maybe we've gone too far with the legislation. Maybe we need to trim it back. Maybe we need to go a little bit further, you know, whatever decisions they need to make. And then there's, a, you know, that it's quite a long drawn out process when you're trying to amend legislation. So this is not just a single ingredient like we want to make Fenerbahce prescription only. We want to make uh, DMAA uh, a banned ingredient effectively by putting it on Schedule 9, uh, which is what they did a few years ago. This is a, a complete change to what the TGA is responsible for regulating. So it's going to be, it would be multiple years, I would say two, three, four, maybe even five years until we actually see any of this come to come to fruition and actually make, make it into law. Awesome. I, I like it a lot. I think uh, you shine a lot of light on good information on this and misinformation where it's been spread. Um, yes. Out of curiosity, what's the what's the legal status of CBD in Australia? State you live in <laughs> at this point in time. So CBD, um, I believe, is legal in the ACT, the Australian Capital Territory, um, and there may be another couple of states that it's legal in. But generally, it's 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 prescription only. So you need to have a prescription to get it, which is Schedule Four um, on the uh, the poison schedule, which the TGA is is responsible for for regulating. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's one of our hot topics here right now. So all this stuff kind of really ties in together. How can we regulate it? How can we make sure it's safe? How can we make sure that, you know, the stuff that's in on the label is in the product? And I think that yeah. as a whole, the industry is getting better worldwide. Yeah, I think one of the big things that's yeah, also happening right think... now is that uh, China is banning the manufacturing of SARMs and probably a lot of other stuff. And that was caused, I think, it all started by fentanyl and the opioid crisis. So China is obviously where a lot of these chemicals are coming from. It almost seems like a lot of these organizations, a lot of these pieces are moving at the same time. And there probably is some sort of coordination between some of these authorities because you see things in China, Australia, and America all happening at once. Uh, and yeah, on the CBD note, Ben told me, and I haven't confirmed this, but mm -hmm. that there was 18 warning letters over CBD this morning in America. So we are, uh, we should have said the date is November 26th of 2019 right now. So it seems like there's a, there might be some coordination between these nations, which is not necessarily a bad thing because if China is not going to comply, then it makes life way harder for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, I, I, I tend to keep uh, um, my finger on the pulse of what's happening with the FDA and, and supplements in the US with you guys because we're involved in importing so many different products. So, you know, the companies that I work with in the US are telling me about the warning letters and what's been put on the FDA watch list and what the FDA looks like they're going to ban and so on and so forth. Um, and I think it's it's a, it's a similar sort of situation that you guys have in the US and it wouldn't surprise me in a lot of other countries as well where you know supplements really do fall into this gray area of no one's really responsible for regulating them because they're not drugs so that they don't fall in the US you know directly under the FDA or in Australia directly under the TGA they're not always food, so they don't fall under that regulatory structure. So they're kind of somewhere in the middle. And we don't really have a governing body that is 100% responsible for the regulation and ensure that ingredients that, that are on the label are actually in the product, that the source of ingredients is, you know, what, what they're supposed to be in above board. There is no governing body that is directly responsible for this. So, so 
story, a lot of the similar issues happen in a lot of similar countries. Yeah, I think one of the big things right now is this, just this pushback from these people who want these, I mean, possibly dangerous ingredients at certain levels. But, and I don't know exactly how the regulation was set in uh, Australia, but one of the things that I always talk about is that in America, we have the Shea, which defines the dietary supplements, defines where they come from, you know, exactly what they can be and what is one. And that was actually voted on by the public. Like, that's not like something that our state representatives or the government put together. Like, we voted on that ourselves. So we have to live with it, you know. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it's defined in Australia, but I'm sure it's pretty similar. It comes from something that's in the diet. Um, you know, it, it, we can't have things that are also drugs also be a dietary supplement. And that's where a lot of these things get a little bit confusing between. So uh, it sounds like everything's improving. And, and uh, I, I'm, I'm happy we did this because some of my confusion with the way that I was reading and interpreting it sometimes came a little bit with um, some of those PR campaigns down there. It's really make it sound pretty scary. Um, yeah. So will, will you be yeah. involved uh, with the, the communication process with the TGA? Do you, have you submitted anything, if you don't mind us asking? Yeah, yeah, I have. I have through, through not through a PR um, channel or a PR campaign, but directly through, I mean, the TGA provides done. There's an online submission form. You hop on the website, you go through the online submission form, you make your submission. Um, that's the way that the consultation period works. They have absolutely uh, zero interest in dealing with PR campaigns or listening to what PR campaigns have to say for and against. I mean, that is the that is the way that they want submissions made. That is how they're going to consider submissions. Um, so, you know, that's the way that I've made my submissions and, and, and my thought on, on, you know, what I think about the, per uh, the situation personally, um, you know, and, and uh, that's how I kind of been... Awesome. Well, it's it's awesome to see uh, someone who's willing to put you know put that out there and, and submit. I think sometimes in America, I don't know I don't know how the TGA is viewed in Australia, but the FDA is seen as someone with an agenda, it's a little bit intimidating to yeah. most companies. But I, I like this the fact that there's open communication in Australia. It sounds like you guys are going to come to a, a pretty fruitful uh, decision. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's it's a necessary step in the right direction. Um, you know, it, it kind of from a personal standpoint, it kind of frustrates me a little bit that there is so much misinformation floating around um, because I think the agendas of certain PR campaigns are, are, um, are slightly misdirected. You know, I, I think that if if you, those people who are listening who are, you know, interested and, and, and perhaps concerned about the lack of consumer choice or in favour of in, enhanced regulation, actually go to the TGA website, read the draft legislation, read the consultation report, come to your own opinion and then make a submission through the online submission form. That's the process. That's how it's supposed to be followed you know, is bound to read those submissions and they do read every single submission and take them into consideration when they're making, you know, making their final decisions. Uh, you know, so far as the TGA having a hidden agenda, I mean, the, 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 you just look at the size of the pharmaceutical industry in Australia compared to the size of the supplement industry. It's 
you know, probably 125th to 130th of the size. I just don't think that the TGA is going to dedicate the sort of resources that they need to dedicate to such a small piece of the puzzle um, to, you know, give efficacy to any kind of hidden agenda that they may have, in my personal opinion. Awesome. Well, Mike, do you have anything else to, to add or ask? No, in, in general, it sounds like you are not as concerned as some of the uh, some of the other things we've seen. At the same time, I guess it's a good thing that some people – you need someone to, to push the other side of the pendulum a little bit so that we have a little bit of awareness and uh, and to keep the authorities semi in check. You know, you, you can't just uh, – let things you can't be silent so even if an, an overreaction is still I, I think a good thing sometimes because it you know in the clickbait culture we live in you kind of need someone to uh, to wake you up and, and make you read the, the legislation and now we're here talking about this because of some of those knee-jerk reactions so um, in general it sounds like you're not yeah. as concerned but it's a good thing I think that some people made us concerned because here we are talking so uh, that is what it is yeah. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> That's a good point. And awesome. I, you know, just, just to that as well, um, I, you know, I don't take my calmness, I guess, as a lack of, as a lack of concern. Um, you know, I, I am concerned about what will happen if the TGA kind of does everything that they want to do, um, which is why I do encourage people to go and make these online submissions and voice their particular concerns. I'm a fan of, of, of some sort of regulatory structure for supplements. I'm an advocate for it. I think it's the only way forward for the industry. The industry is continuing to grow. It's nowhere near the size of the pharmaceutical industry in Australia. It's nowhere near the, nowhere even close to the size of the food industry in Australia. But it is kind of carving out its nice, nice little niche in between the two. I want nothing more as both a supplement consumer and a businessman in the supplement part of the industry to see the supplement part of the industry continue to grow. help improve people's fitness, help improve people's health. And I think we're kind of at a crossroads where we are unable to do that with the current lack of regulatory structure. I think it's a necessary step in the right direction to allow the supplement part of the industry to continue to grow and have a positive impact on people's lives. So holistically, that's where I'm coming from, but I still am concerned that perhaps the TGA has overstepped their boundaries with the way that the draft legislature is currently written. I think there needs to be some sort of regulatory system in place. There needs to be some sort of regulation. But I think that if their goal is to use the same sort of regulatory that they use for uh, therapeutic goods, pharmaceuticals, drugs, so on and so forth, for supplements, that, that's not good. Okay, so... Probably maybe one last question for you then is uh, we have a lot of viewers. I mean, we, we speak to consumers a lot, but also a lot of companies also watch our content uh, because we're kind of, the, yeah. I don't know, I wouldn't call us watchdogs in the industry, but we kind of, you know, we, we see everything and we report on everything. Is there a message you have for uh, people who export their goods to Australia uh, over the next three to five years? Is there anything that they need to be doing to make sure that they're in line with this? Is there anything they can do to prepare Obviously, we can't submit since we're not citizens of Australia, but um, yeah. if, if we're manufacturing in America and we're doing business, maybe not with TMJ, but with some distributor down there, is there anything that we should be doing to prepare? From the perspective of, uh, of an American company or an American supplement consumer? Yeah, yeah. For an American company that does business with Australia, is there anything that, that they yeah. should be concerned about? 
Um, I don't think there's really anything that you can do until we get a little bit of a better picture as to how this regulatory structure is going to look, um, you know, and, and what is actually going to pass through Parliament and become part of Australian law. Uh, I think it would be quite foolish to go and put steps in place and act right now as if the legislation is going to go through as it's written, which would make a lot of supplements therapeutic goods, um, because I just don't think that that's going to be be the case. I think from an American business's perspective, an American manufacturer, uh, you know, just to keep your finger on the pulse, see how it progresses over the next few months over the next few years because like i said it's going to take multiple years for actually anything to come to fruition um you know and and, and just just try and try and keep your finger on the pulse and and uh, keep your ears to the ground and see how it progresses awesome well it seems like for now uh the best thing that we could do is, is watch listen and communicate um mike I, i'm pretty pretty good i think Absolutely. we covered everything here yeah, I've learned a lot here, so that was uh, very, very helpful and useful. We really appreciate your time, Joe. We, uh, yeah, love everything you do, man. For years and years, I can't jump on YouTube without seeing your videos pop up and everything. So it's, <laughs> they're always good. And keep, yeah, keep the content coming. Thanks for informing us. Thanks for informing your public. And um, I might still try to make a comment for one suggestion to your government uh, regarding what I think. And it's something I've always said is, like, I would love to force – bottle uh the the bottle the state where exactly something was manufactured because i think at the end of the day it's the contract manufacturers who are like the the easiest to enforce one bottleneck kind of area where we can get a lot more compliance and then we don't have to play whack-a-mole with brands i really think the places and so i think one thing would be great is to have everyone have to disclose where this product was bottled capped you know manufactured and uh and I would love some government authority to force that to be printed on the bottle because then I know exactly where something's made. Um, that's that's the only thing mm. I, I wish that we would we would have over here that I think would help clean things up a little bit because if you see some shady stuff, you know where it's at, and if it's not on the bottle, it's it, you know it's illegal. So that anyway, it's a little bit off-topic conversation, but I'm gonna see if I can uh, maybe nudge the government to to say, hey, here's what I wish we had in America. Maybe you guys could think about it. Yeah, absolutely. I like that idea. That's good. But no, awesome. thank you for your time. Uh, ben, yeah, that's that's all I have. Uh, no, we really appreciate what you're doing over there in Massive Joe's. We will uh, be sharing this and, of course, tagging you on everything so you'll see that and uh, and get it up as soon as possible because I know the commenting period is a little is uh, running short here. So you got about a week or so. We do. Under a week now. Under okay. a week. Now, thank you, guys. I appreciate uh, I appreciate being on the podcast, and I hope I've been able to add some valuable insight and information to to the listeners and the and the viewers of your content. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. We really appreciate your time.